Good morning. All right, you can bring me the donuts now. Good morning. Good morning. How are we feeling? Man, listen, let me tell you. I was I was standing in the sound booth in, during during worship. Sorry, Rick. I was standing in the sound booth during worship. And I was just watching people. You know, I love to watch people. I'm one of those entrometidos on the train that's always just watching people and listening. And I was watching and worshiping and worshiping and watching. And, and, and at one point, I, I turned to Jose back there. I said, you know what? I would come to this church. <laughs> I like this place. I would come here. If you're new, I'm the pastor. One of the pastors. Amen. I just want to welcome you this morning. We've been, we've been doing a, a series called Seven Foot Love, and, and I've just been seeing it in action, and that's, that's the best thing. We could be doing, you know, we could, we could preach all kinds of deparate from the front, but if, if, it, if it's not really taking root in, in the body, if people aren't really kind of hearing the word and living the word, then it's pointless. You know, we just put it on a show, and we don't ever want to be here putting on a show. Amen? As I... I love, can we give it up for the worship team, man? There's, there's no show in that, man. I just, I love the honesty of that worship. And I just, I just love that we worship with everything we got. That's why we don't ever want to do two services because there's nothing left. The, the second service would be gypped. It'd be like 10 minutes, right? Five minutes worship, five minutes preaching, all right, go home. Because we spend everything we can during the first the first time around. So anyway, welcome to the, to the sanctuary. We got one more message in this seven-foot series. And I, I wanted kind of all the pastors to share on this series because it's important that we get a broad range of the love of God and the way God deals with each of us individually. Amen? Rather than just hearing from one person. So Pastor G hasn't shared yet on the seven-foot love, and I want, you to, I, I want you to put your hands together, and we're going to receive a scandalous. We're going to hear today about the scandalous love of God. Come on, G. Next week, we got a brand new, come on. Next week, we're starting a brand new series that I'm just as excited about, and so be ready next week. We're going to kick it to a whole nother level. Amen? Come on, G. Okay, so since today we're ending the series on seven-foot love, I thought I'd bring out a mushy love poem to make everybody cry, just in honor of Pastor George's message series. So I'm not too mushy like him, but I figure I'll give him a break. So here it is. This is, this is a quote that's about love that's going to make you all start crying all over the place. Here we go. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it will always be yours. If it doesn't come back, it was never yours to begin with. But if it just sits in your living room, messes up your stuff, eats your food, uses your phone, takes your money and doesn't appear to realize that you had set it free, you either married it or gave birth to it. How come they're not crying? 
Last week they all crying with this stuff, and I don't know. Oh well, moving moving on here. Uh, one one of the things that distinguishes Christianity is God's deep personal love for each person. See, in other religions, you don't find that. In Eastern religion, like Hinduism and New Age religion, God is seen as an energy force. He has no love, no personality. And that's why they wear crystals in order to try to attract the positive energy of the universe. According to Greek religion, God, he has no feelings. It's called stoicism. God, God is empty. He's, all, he's rational and he has thought, but he has no emotions. According to Islam, we can't know. They believe that God is unknowable. The, in, in, in the Muslim religion, they believe you don't know the heart of God. But in Christianity, God is a personal God. He knows you personally, and he loves you with an everlasting love. Not only you sitting here, but all, all those sinners out there. We, we've done before what's called prophetic evangelism, where we go out in the streets, in the parks, and give people prophetic words from God. We give them a message from God, and in that we learn that God knows them. I was surprised at first. I thought God only hung around church. But God knows. He, he loves. He has a deep compassion, even for the worst sinners. And to me, the best example of the love of God is in the book of Hosea. So, so that's what I'm going to focus on today. The book of Hosea, who is one of the minor prophets. By minor prophet, for all you Bible scholars, it doesn't mean he was less important. It just means that he wrote less work than the other, some of the other prophets. And during the time of Hosea the prophet, Israel was very prosperous. Things were good. But instead of giving thanks to God for his blessing, they turned their backs on him. The one who rescued them. The one who fought for them. The one who provided for them. And instead they worshiped statues. They worshiped idols. They worshiped images of cows, and they broke the heart of God. It's only in Christianity where you'll find that God's heart can be broken. Jesus himself, he stood in Jerusalem, and it says Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He says, I wanted to bring you to me like a mother hen calling its chicks, but you would not come, and Jesus stood and wept. Did you know that God's heart can be broken? See, God is a God of love and patience, but he's also a righteous judge. So I'm going to start reading now, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. And if you never heard the story, some of you are in for a shock. This is going to be better than us, more scandalous than that show. 
That, that can't even touch this. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how God has this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. See, back in the Old Testament, the prophets were told by God to do some strange, crazy things. For example, the prophet Isaiah, God told him, go to the temple and walk around naked with no clothes in order, as a message to Egypt about their spiritual nakedness. God told Jeremiah to eat food that was cooked over human poop. And he told him to take a pair of pants, bury it under the ground in the dirt, leave it there for about six months, take it out and put it on and walk around with it as a sign to the people of their filthy sin. How would you have liked to have been a prophet back in those times? We wouldn't have anyone in the prophetic ministry here if we were living back then. Well, this is one of the, probably the most radical thing. God told Hosea, go find a prostitute, marry her as a sign to Israel of my love, of how I see her. See, because Israel had committed spiritual adultery against God. And God told Hosea, you go marry a prostitute. And when people say, why did you marry this prostitute? You tell them that the same, in the same way that Israel has prostituted itself. They have become adulterers by worshiping other gods, by bowing down to idols. Verse 3, so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. I will put an end to the kingdom of, Je in, of Israel. Down to verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo Ruhama, which means not love, for I will no longer show love to Israel. After she had weaned Lo Ruhama, Gomer had another son, and the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. See, God was tired of it, and his anger, his wrath against sin boiled up. And, he and Hosea had three sons. The first one was named Jezreel. And God said, that's a sign that there's going to be a battle in the valley of Jezreel. And Israel's going to be defeated because of their unfaithfulness. And then to had a daughter. And, and the name of the daughter was not loved. And God said, that's a sign to Israel. I do not love you anymore. And the third child... 
And the name of that child was not my people. Because God said, I'm tired of this. You are Israel. You are no longer my people because of your sin. You can hear in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19, it's telling a similar story of the same situation. And usually I don't want to read this much scripture, but I just, you have to hear this. Just the brokenness in God's heart over the sin. Jeremiah 3.19, I myself, this is God speaking, said, How gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me. Do you hear the brokenness, the hurt, the disappointment? God told Israel, I thought you, I I was like a husband to you. I gave you everything. I thought I could be like your father. That you would be my children. I would be, I would provide everything for you. There's nothing God said I wouldn't do for you. But yet you've turned from me and you could hear the brokenness in his voice. The grief. See, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. God, God weeps. Some people have a picture of God like the Greeks that he's this big tough guy with no emotions, but there's a tenderness in the heart of God that breaks when people turn away from him. Just as a husband would mourn when the wife would become unfaithful. And then going, I'm going to go back to um, verse 8. He said, I gave faithful Israel her certificate of divorce, and sent her away because of her adulteries. What did God say? Israel, I was married to you. I was like a husband to you. But I cut you off. From this day forth, I am divorcing you. You are no longer my wife. I am not going to be your father anymore. Goodbye. It paints a, a very harsh picture. But now let's get to the good part. Now that I made everybody good and depressed. I'm going to go back to the book of Hosea, chapter 3, verse 1. Probably, to me, this is the most amazing, powerful scripture in the whole Bible. If you want to know about seven-foot love, you got to hear this verse, Hosea 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, this is Hosea speaking, go, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the raisin cakes. What what is that saying? God told Hosea, you go back into the house of prostitution. You go look for your wife and you go bring her back and you marry her because that's the love that I have for my people. Even in his disgust, even in his anger, 
His love is greater. Do you see the picture of the love of God? He said, Hosea, you do whatever it takes. Yet that unfaithful wife that became a prostitute, an adulterer, and two of those kids were not even Hosea's. And God told him, you go back, you go find her, you bring her back, and you show my people Israel how much I love her. That even in their rebellion, in their prostitution, in their adultery, I refuse to give up on her. And finally he found her and he had to buy her back because she had sold herself into prostitution. And he was willing to pay the price. And do you know that's what Jesus has done for you? The Bible says when you were yet a sinner, when you had nothing to offer God, that Jesus paid the price for you. He gave everything he had in order just to gain your love. When you wanted nothing to do with him, when you were running away, in his compassion and his love, he brought you in. He paid, he paid for you just like Hosea did. Hosea chapter 11 verse 8. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? God said, my heart is changed within me. My compassion is aroused. See, God just can't give up on you. No matter how you fail, no matter what mess you make, there's something in the heart of God. Jesus himself, he said, if, if I have a hundred sheep and one of them decides to take off and run, I'm going to leave everything behind and I'm going to come after you. See, we have a picture in the Bible of the prodigal son where the, where the father is waiting for this wayward son, this rebellious son, and he's standing, he's waiting, he's looking. That's one picture of God where he's waiting. This is a different picture of God. This is a picture of God who goes right into the crack house, right, right into the place of prostitution, right into the bar, into the club, to take back that which is his. It's a relentless, scandalous love. I never heard of a love like that. I've never seen it in my whole life. Listen, listen to this. God says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. These rebellious people who want nothing to do with them. You know what God says? I'm going to keep loving them, and I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to win them back with my love. I'm going to woo them like a lover. I don't know what conception you've ever had about God, but this is who God is. This is what love is. This is unconditional love. When you want nothing to do with him, he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go right into that club, and I'm going to draw your heart back. 
If you want to meet with God, he doesn't hang around here mostly. He's mostly out there trying to bring back that seek and save that which is lost. The greatest encounters I've had with God wasn't in a worship service. It was in the parks, in the streets. It was out there praying for lost sinners. That's where God's heart is. They criticized Jesus. He said, you sit and you eat with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. They called him a friend of sinners. And Jesus said, yep, that's who I am. That's where, if you wanted to look for Jesus, you know where you found him? With, with all the messed up people out there. You see, you can't run from God. You can't shake Him. Maybe some of you have tried and found out it doesn't work. But at the same time, I don't want to give you a wrong picture of the love of God. You see, sometimes God's love is tough. Like with Israel, God won't always save you out of your rebellion. Sometimes he lets you hit rock bottom, and that's love too. Sometimes someone in church who's in rebellion against God, someone who's destroying their marriage, ruining their body with drugs, they'll come up to me and say, Oh, I, can you just pray for me? I just want God's blessing. I'm not blessing you in your mess, in your rebellion. I'll say, Get him, God. Give him more, God. I'll pray for you, but, but I ain't praying blessing. God will bless your, your rebellion. You're ruining your life. See, it's, not, it's just as much love when God lets you fall sometimes, when you're headed the wrong way. That's love too. Love isn't just this mushy thing. Oh, it's okay. Whatever you do, that's all right. Sometimes you've got to stand. I, I've seen mothers... Leave their grown kids in jail. And that's love sometimes. Sometimes it's love to kick someone out of the house who's messing up because you're just enabling them. And they'll say, oh, you're a Christian, that's not love. Yes, that's love too. Hosea chapter 11 verse 15. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of, a, of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. Now, first looking at that verse, it might not mean a lot, but it says, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Do you know what happened at, in Achor? That's the town of it, one of Israel's greatest failures where they fell into idolatry and their army was defeated and, and God brought judgment against them. It was the place of their failure. What was God telling Israel? In the place of your biggest mess, 
I'm bringing hope and restoration. And, and that's what God is telling you today. In the place of your biggest regret, the worst thing you ever did, God is bringing hope. See, the word achor also means the valley of trouble. So God is breaking off from your life everything of that trouble, everything of your past, every mess that you made, and instead he's releasing hope. His love is going to fill that place. There's restoration for you today. No matter how far you have fallen... In Isaiah 54, which again speaks to the same thing. And again, I'm going to read the scripture because these are some of the most beautiful scriptures. Isaiah 54, verse 4, God speaking to Israel. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful life when you are refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. God spoke to Israel, and he says, I divorced you, I hid my face from you, but now I'm going to show you mercy. I'm gonna, just as if you were like a wife. Who, who was abandoned by her husband and suffered shame and disgrace, God said, I will be your husband again. And God is telling that to some of you today. Those of you who have been hurt, abandoned, who you're walking in shame, God is committing his whole life, his whole being, everything he has to you today and saying, I am your husband. You're going to forget all the shame of your past, everything that you hate about yourself, everything that you regret in your life. God is saying, I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to make you forget it. Because the Lord says, for I am your Redeemer. Now, what does it mean, Redeemer? Again, it's one of those Christian words they try to avoid, but this is one you need to know. See, some of these long Christian words, you need to know what it means. What does it mean when God says, I am your Redeemer? So I'm, I'm going to give you the definitions of re what's called redemption. Number one is to set free or to rescue. See, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he set you free. That doesn't mean freedom to live any way that you want to. That's not freedom. Freedom means that in your life, because of the love and power of God that's operating, no addiction, 
No emotion, no sin can have power over you anymore. You have power over your past. Anything that tries to rise up inside of you, you have control over your anger, over your fear, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus paid the price. Number two, to save from a state of sinfulness and its consequences. So Jesus redeemed you by his death on the cross. He paid the price. And every sin is forgiven. You have been washed clean. Stop seeing yourself as a dirty sinner, as a failure. You, you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. And number three, it means to restore back honor, worth, or reputation. In other words, maybe you don't feel significant today. But God takes you in your hurt, your shame, and your brokenness, and your failure, your sin, your rebellion, and he creates beauty and value and righteousness. All this scripture, the whole story of Hosea proves one thing. The worth that you have to God, the value, the way that he sees you, you are a treasure in his eyes. And you need to start seeing yourself in agreement with the way God sees you. When Jesus died on the cross, he restored honor back to your life. I don't care how the world looks at you. I don't care how your family sees you. But Jesus has given you honor. You, you, you are a pearl of great price. Every single one of you. You need to begin to see yourself that way. That's how, that's how the enemy will stop you more than anything else. Make you feel like a loser. Oh, God loves everyone else but you. You're not that special. That God would love everyone else but you. He'll do it, whatever it takes. I don't care. You can run. You can hide. And I see that very often in churches. Everywhere I go, people have been in church and they disappear. I say, what happened? Oh, they messed up. They did something. So they ran and isolated themselves. They hide from God. They hide from the church. You, you don't run away from church because you messed up. This is where you need to be when you mess up. You are accepted here. You are welcome. And I want you to hear a story right now. I'm going to ask my friend Derek to come up because he's a perfect example. His story will tell you more than all what I just told you about, about the ferocious, scandalous love of God. See, you, Derek didn't find church, didn't find God just hanging around churches. Hello, everyone. Um, my past is, uh, how can I say, kind of rough. Um, I was a drug dealer. I was a womanizer. I abused my wife when I was married. I abused my family with my mouth, 
with my actions. I was always clubbing, going to strip clubs, didn't care. Uh, had no feelings towards my coworkers or anybody. Whatever I said, I said, and I had no feelings about it. I did what I wanted to do, and again, had no feelings about it. Um, I always stayed in contact with my aunt, and my aunt is a real heavy Bible study um, Christian. And every now and then she would, you know, she knows what I was doing and, and she would talk to me about God and I would always go, yeah, 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 hang up the phone and continue doing what I was doing. But uh, every time I did something bad, uh, the next day I would feel conviction, which I didn't know at that time was conviction, but now I know. So what I did to um, fix that conviction was I would do more things worse to myself because I didn't feel worthy. Even though my aunt would tell me that God loves you, you know, even when you're going through your, your sorrows and all that and your pain and your suffering, um, that he'll always be there for you. Uh, never listened. And then one day uh, she tells me, uh, I want you to come to church with me. Uh, I came to church with her. And... Um, I was saved. I had hands put on me. I came to the front of the altar, and, and I cried my eyes out, and I felt good after that. Um, I had gotten a Bible, King James Bible. <laughs> you know, I wanted to have the New York Times, you know, not the Post, you know. You know? So I wanted to look impressive, you know, even though I didn't understand it. But, but now I got the New Living Translation, so I understand. So. So, uh, so I started going, and uh, you know, as you go into church, as I came here, I felt the love. Um, but after a month and a half of going, you know, on Sundays and getting involved, I returned back to the darkness because I felt that I wasn't worth anything, even though even though people were telling me that I was. But um, like the perfect storm, you know, when the eye when the eye of the storm is there, and the sun comes out, well, that was the time when I was saved. But that sun didn't stay out long enough, and then all of a sudden it got dark again. But the second half of the storm is pretty heavy. So when I left the church, uh, I got worse. I started clubbing more. I started spending more money. Uh, my friends were dragging me home as drunk as I was, waking up with women next to me, don't even know their name. Uh, I, was just, I was just living, I guess, the La Vida Loca, you know, that kind of life. But then um, I lost my job during this time, and I was working there for six years. And I felt that that was like the, the last part, that like I didn't have anything else to, to do anything. Like I was like, okay, God, you know, if you exist... Why are you putting me through this? Why are you torturing? You know, why is, why is this happening to me? Why am I here? And um, I decided to go into my cabinet and get a box, uh, get a bottle of pills. And I was going to end my life. But uh, God had better things for me because the pills bottle fell on the floor. And when it fell on the floor, I, I snapped out of it. And I just started crying, and I just started asking him, 
if you're here for me, I need you now. I need you now. And I just started crying by myself on my couch. And um, my girlfriend ended up bringing home a Bible. And I'm sitting on my couch and I'm looking at that Bible. And the Spirit told me, I want you to get up and I want you to start reading five chapters every day, starting with Genesis. And that was in 2013 of February, and I haven't stopped since. Thank you. God, God took a man like me that didn't feel any love or any, any, anything of acceptance and changed me and showed me how I used to abuse with my mouth, how to use it now to be there for other people. He said, well, you was always out there putting people down, telling them where to go and all that. Well, now I'm here for you, and I'm going to show you what, I, what you can do with that now. So I'm here to tell you that, yes, I was in the clubs. I was hanging out in strip clubs, and I was doing all the, the sinful things that we're not supposed to do. But God was always there for me. And if I had known that the way I know it now, my life wouldn't have been that way. But I needed to fall that way in order to come to God, in order to have him in my life. So don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. And if you know somebody that's going through that, don't give up on them either. Be there for them. Be there for them. Thank you. You see, if, you, if no one ever shares the gospel with you, here is a living example of, of who Jesus is. Do you hear what Derek said? I was out clubbing, abusing women, hurting people with my mouth, sleeping around, taking pills, and right in the midst of that, God showed up. And he wouldn't leave him alone. He followed him everywhere he goes, even with the pills in his hand. God said, I'm not going to let you go. You see, Derek just said, I was a sinner. I was a loser. I was a mess up. I sold drugs. I messed up people's lives. And can I introduce you now to a holy, mighty man of God? You. you see, that's the love I'm talking about. Not the love we present so often in the church. I, I, I want you to hear this quote from a book called One Way Love. I'm not sure there's anything worse than causing those whom God loves to question whether God loves them. God is, has such a ferocious love that I won't give up. Even if everyone else wrote you off. I'll be honest, there's times I've written people off. Oh, this is too much for me. Let, let Pastor George deal with this one. But God, he won't give up on you. Wherever he's got to go to find you. Uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. 
You see, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. What is it saying? Even on your worst day, God, God still loves you. you. His love is unconditional. You know what that means, unconditional? It means there's nothing you can do in this world to make him stop loving you. I don't care how far you fall. The Bible says you can go all the way down into hell and make your bed down there. And it says the love of God will follow you even into hell to bring you back. I, I just want to end by telling a testimony that I have, that I've shared it before, but you probably all forgot by now, so that's good. And this is one Pastor George probably don't want to remember. But this was back around 1997. And I was doing ministry. And my, I was going through very, very difficult circumstances. And my heart started to get hard towards God. I stopped praying. Other than God, thank you for the sandwich. That was my prayer life. I couldn't even read the Bible. I'd open it up and I'd get this sick feeling. I couldn't even read it and I'd shut it back up again. E even in church, you know what I used to do? I probably shouldn't give no one ideas. But I used, during the service, I hated being there. I used to sneak out. Sometimes sneak out and go home, and I was in ministry. I was what was called backsliding. I was going the wrong way. And then one day we went down to Florida and Pensacola to the revival down there. And I went over to Pastor George. This was about eight, 19 years ago, 18 years ago. And I said, I, if I'm coming down here to this revival, I got to change. Something got to happen. Can you pray for me? And he put his hand and started praying for me. And the next, in the parking lot, not in the church, this was out in the parking lot. And right there, I fell right on the floor in the parking lot. You know, don't say it's fake when people fall down. Stop saying that. It can be, but God could touch somebody with his power and knock them right over. And right there in the parking lot, in my rebellion, in my anger against God, with my cold heart, I just started shaking, and all I could feel is God's love, waves of love, and I got up totally restored, totally on fire again for God, and I made a decision that day. I've never been loved like that. I'll never again walk away from that kind of love. What kind of love is that? That when, when I was running from God, I couldn't read his word. I didn't pray. 
I couldn't listen to Christian music. It hurt my ears. And right there, laid out in a parking lot, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, he took time. He took notice of a nobody like me. And I was totally restored. And I've never lost a fire again. And I will tell you something. I'd rather die than to lose the faith in the one that I love. So before we worship, I just want to ask some of you, this is a hard question. Sometimes we do an altar call, make it easy. But I know there's got to be at least one person out there who was like me, who was like Derek. You've wandered away in your relationship with God. The same fire isn't there anymore. You don't pray like you used to. You used to be excited to come to church. Now, now it's hard waking up on Sunday morning. I, I admitted it. Is there anyone else here who could raise your hand? I want to pray for you that the love of God, if that's you, no, no one is looking at you today. I believe there's at least one person here and you're saying, you need the love of God. Bless you. Anybody here? Amen. God bless you. I, I want to pray for you right now. Father, for each one raising their hand, I speak restoration. Father, light the fire again. I release over you the burning, passionate, fiery love of Jesus, your bridegroom, to burn in your heart again. I decree over your life right now that you are restored. I speak restoration over each one of you in Jesus' name. That it's a love that you can't lose. So as we worship, I'm going to ask you all to stand right now. And as we worship, if there's anyone here and you're saying, I need that love today. I need that restoring love. I need the love of God to come into my situation, into my household, into my family. I'm, I'm going to ask you to come up and stand with me. In fact, I'm coming to stand down here today. Anyone else, you're, you're going to stand today before God and say, you're going to admit with me, God, I need your love today. God, I need your touch. God, there's got to be more, God. I, I, I believe God wants to touch some hearts. God wants to bring restoration. I'm going to ask those of you in the prayer team, if you could just come and just stand with those. And I want you to believe with each one that from this day forth, it's never going to be the same, just like it was with me. That God is going to ravish your heart today.